0: Kia ora everybody, what's up? It is Rebet, uh, welcome to Rebet Live. Uh, today, we've just had weapon, 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 another weapon. It's my bro, Aaron Lloyd, pa- partner at Minter Allison Rudwats, I hope they got that right. How are you my friend?
1: Uh, I'm good, I don't know about a weapon mate, but, uh, but it's good do, to be on.
0: Do you not remember our first meeting ever? Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell the story. Okay, so about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, whatever, I needed a lawyer, had some, <laughs> had some shit going on, comes through. And flipping like straight up. If anyone's what suits, you rolled up the most baller ass three piece suit jacket shit with this pocket square. You just come in and go, "All right, mate. Yep, just like one minute, just power moved it. You just like stood up, walked out, and I was just left there like, "What?" I think I don't know if it was like Jillian or one of the crew. And I was like, "Is he? Is that how he rose?" Like, it's Aaron. I was like, "Dude, just MVP. It was powerful. It was. It was like." That was the most dominant way to make a first impression is just walk in, power move the shit, and you, you just like, alright, good. And you're like, we're good here. Alright, cool. Later. And you just <laughs> bailed. <laughs> it was so good. Oh, but um, See, three-piece,
1: three-piece suit. No three-piece suit today, mate. I, uh, I, know, I know. Times have changed. Work from, home. Work from no, home, casual.
0: It's it's good. Um, so for those who aren't aware, um, your partner, allison, What keeps you busy? Where's your headspace? Obviously, we'll get into it a little bit, but um, yeah, because obviously you've probably been Very busy for this last little bit. Um, For those people that aren't aware of um, the power moves and the circles that you roll with, um, what's your deal and and what what are you about?
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Um, So look, I'm a litigation partner at um, Minter Alice and Rudwatts, Minters. Um, And uh, my practice sort of falls into three, really. Um, Employment law, health and safety is one chunk. Um, litigation which is largely regulatory type litigation is another chunk and sports law is my third chunk and at the moment for the last sort of month in particular I've been almost 100% an employment and health and safety lawyer because you know we talk about uh, businesses uh, most important asset being their employees and it's right at times like now when you're trying to get that balance right between keeping your business afloat but at the same time protecting and supporting and retaining your best talent and trying to get that balance going. So most of the work I've been doing over the last couple of weeks has been helping people with that, man.
0: And we we're, we were just saying before, six months ago, your life was very different. What were you doing six months ago, Aaron?
1: <laughs> yeah, so six months ago, I had a six-week trip to Tokyo where I was being a sort of 80% sports lawyer for the six-week period. I was up at the World Cup. Um, You're
0: on the rinse with... Baller rugby players in, in <laughs> Japan living the flippin' dream. That's no, but some of,
1: my, some of my rugby player clients were out on the rinse, which made my life difficult when I then had to try and represent them at a hearing, and, and at least one occasion one of them didn't show up. But that's a different story for a different time. But, um, yeah, you know, six weeks ago I was in Japan on a, um, on a gig with World Rugby looking after all of the Tier 2 um, rugby nations to look after all of their players for disciplinary hearings, and in addition to that also managing my practice back here in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, six months ago, the world was a very different place. You know, things like a sports tournament was really significant and really important, and not just for the athletes that were involved, but also the, the thousands of people that were working at it, the thousands of volunteers, the millions and millions of people who were watching it. You know, that was a really big deal. And six months later, you know, sport, organised sport, sort of seems like something that's very much on the back burner, although. You know, from an employment perspective and an economy perspective, sport's really important. So that's going to have to, we're going to have to address how we get those sorts of things back and running, just in the same way that we're addressing how our essential services and our other mainstream em- employment is all back and running as well.
0: Yeah, maybe let's start with the employment first, I and mean, then I'm keen to get back into the sport, because obviously you, you dabble a lot in that space and you've got um, some pretty good insights to the world of, especially the commercialization, how these things actually roll out. The employment side, so you're saying basically this last month, how have you felt the reaction from, I guess, government and employers has actually been dancing this tango of 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 all this money that essentially stops circulating over overnight? How do you think that we've done as a, I guess, as a nation addressing this? Have we have we done good to start with from an employer employer side? What, what's your headspace and where's what have you kind of thought of how it's rolled out? I guess from a legal standpoint with government for the from employees and employers perspective in the last last month.
1: Look, I think think we have done it pretty well. I mean, and it is a multi-party engagement, right? You've got the government trying to work out what they're going to do in terms of providing stimulus into the economy and support to employers and support to employees. You've got employers trying to walk this balance between keeping their business alive when they've had, for a lot of them, they've just had their revenue completely yanked. And more than that, A real uncertainty as to what that revenue stream is going to look like moving forward. You've got employees who are all concerned about their jobs and their livelihoods and their family and supporting themselves. And then you've also got unions that are coming in and supporting the employees and their engagement with the employers. And so that's the that's those are the people in the equation, if you like. And the government you know, in some respects has had to sort of make this up as it goes along. Right. And and we've seen that in the employment space. They've done a pretty bloody good show of it, to be honest. Um, When you think that, you know, even only six or eight weeks ago, the thought of a country being in lockdown and whole pockets of the economy completely shut down, you know, that is a catastrophic has a catastrophic effect on an economy Mm. and to think how you're going to manage that and how you're going to do that. And, you know, our government's taken the approach of putting in place you know, subsidies, Doing them through employers, so that if you want the wage subsidy flowing down into your employment workforce, the New Zealand governments decided to do it through the employers. That's creating some tension because some employers are not wanting to apply for the subsidy because they're concerned about some of the exposure that it may present them to later on in terms of if they don't meet all the criteria or they say they do and then they don't quite. What will happen? Yeah, or so there's been a...
0: because it's it's now been because i know a few people have taken steps back after they've been made public that they actually have been getting cash and stuff like that type of dynamic as well
1: yeah and look and i think i think more along the lines of everyone's had to get into this debate and discussion together about moving forward and i think the, the examples that i've seen where it's really been working is where employer and employee group either unionized or otherwise have been able to get together and say right here are the concerns we've got We've had our revenue yanked. We can't afford afford to continue to fund the business as a business owner and a business operator at the same level as what we have been operating it at. We need to make some changes. We'd like to do that in conjunction with you. If we reach those agreements with you, that's great. And that might be things like reducing hours, um, Mm. uh, using annual leave entitlements, you know, those sorts of things. a few of the
0: big guys have been doing this week.
1: Exactly right. And if you can reach agreement with your workforce around what the measures are that you can take to streamline the cost base in your business, to be able to continue to operate so that when we do come out of this, you're coming out of this in a way that then all your people can be with you and and engage in that, then from a business owner's perspective, that's what you're trying to achieve. But of course, from an employee's perspective, like all of us, Everyone needs to still continue to have money coming in so that you can pay your mortgage and you can pay your power bill and you can get food on the table and you can do all those sorts of things that you need to do. So where I'm seeing it work best is when the employees and the employers are able to have a genuine, open discussion around what's needed to balance those two things. Mm. And where I'm seeing it not go so well is when people are taking sort of quite... Rigid positions, and that can be both an employer taking a rigid position of like, well, we're just going to cut paying you, or we're going to just make a whole lot of redundancies without consulting with you. You know, that's not going well. And on the other side, when you're getting, you know, particularly, I think staunch and sometimes driven by the unions, I think some very staunch positions of, well, it doesn't matter that um, you can't, you, you haven't got any revenue coming in, you still got to pay your employees. You pay yeah, yeah, or or you can't direct me to use annual leave because at the moment I can't enjoy rest and recreation because we're in a lockdown, so therefore you can't require me to use annual leave because effectively they wouldn't be fair or appropriate. And when you're taking those quite regimented positions one way or the other, either the employer or at the employee end, then I think that's where things aren't going as well as they could.
0: Yeah, and so what does it look like when this plays out? Those that have played nice will get a good equilibrium back and work through it together. Those that haven't, I'm imagining it's going to be a ridiculously massive backlog of legal activity going either which way. Um, like, obviously, I've been hearing stories about um, kind of sketchy employers doing up these fake government things for the employees and get the getting the numbers a bit off and making them redundant, taking cash There's like all these kind of there's a couple of little sketchy little things that are sort of bubbling away. What do you think the aftermath legally potentially looks like? Do you think our systems will get bottlenecked up and 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 stuffed to try and clear it through? Like, Where do you think the the handbrakes or, or the, the issues will be for New Zealand's legal system at the end of this? Because surely it's, someone's about to get busy, right?
1: Yeah, and look, I think where it's going to get busy, so let's talk about the government subsidy scheme, right? Yep. So the government subsidy scheme comes with an audit obligation later on. So if you've applied for a subsidy for your employees, you are going to get audited later on as to whether or not the money that you applied for was the right money because, you know, things like if you're lying about the number of employees you've got um, and then you're getting a subsidy for them, surely that's going to, going to going to come out in the audits later on. If you're not passing that money on to your employees. So if you're in a situation where you've applied for the subsidy, but then you're not passing that money on to your employees, then that's going to get discovered later on. This the government's already, talked, yep. government's already talked about how that would be fraud. So you might be looking at some prosecutions in a a fraud-type, prosecution-type regime that the government might put in place. Um, What else are we going to get? We're going to get employment disputes. So we're going to get cases of employees and unions raising either grievances or minimum entitlement claims against employers saying, well, hey, look, you haven't you didn't pay wages when you were supposed to, or something like that. And some of those will have legs, and some of them won't. But a lot of them will end up in front of the Employment Relations Authority or the Employment Court anyway. Um, what else are we going to see? We're going to see non-legal consequences a We're going to see reputational hits to employ- em- employers' brands. You know, oh, the employers. Sorry. Well, if employers treated their employees poorly in this uh, period of time, then they're going to have difficulty later on, aren't they? Because people are going to call them out for that. You know, we're getting, uh, we're getting a sense of community out of this crisis in a way that will mean that people will start discussing oh well so and so didn't treat their people well whereas so and so did yeah exposing um, and it's leadership going to be about as well. getting that yeah it's going to expose good and bad leadership right
0: but any other bottlenecks uh look i think those are the big ones i think i any think that's in,
1: that's that's in the space i look at um, um, what you're going to have is other stuff as well right i mean you're going to have um, uh, rent rent um, abatement debates at the moment you know bus- businesses who can't access their properties you know should they be getting a rent reduction with their landlord and there's going to be fights over that, and is that there's the going to be
0: 7.5 thing in there a- Yes, yeah, L- so the adls, ADLS. Yes, yes, yep.
1: yeah so look i'm not a property lawyer by any stretch of the imagination but the adls form of the rent is of, of, of lease agreements is a pretty common form of lease agreement there's a clause in there that was put in place after the christchurch earthquakes to try and provide relief for tenants who couldn't access their um uh, 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 premises, rented premises in the context of a national emergency. So you'll remember after Christchurch, and I know you, you know the area well, um, there was a whole lot of red zone, uh, which meant people couldn't get in. And that was really what, I, as I understand it, that was really what was intended. Um, whether it captures this or not, there's a bit of a debate around it there's a pretty clear view I think amongst a lot of lawyers that it does which means that if you've got that form of lease there's a clear abatement discussion for you to have but if you don't have that form of lease and not everyone does then you're still going to have an abatement discussion with your landlord right i can't mm. access the i can't access it or it's a commercially i'm going to struggle how can you help me out so that i keep going so that you can support me to be a long term tenant for you so there's that discussion on the landlord side there's the discussion with employees there'll be the discussion on other supp- with other suppliers Um, so look there's all of that Um, hopefully what we won't see but inevitably we will will be a series of restructurings um, redundancies bankruptcies insolvencies you know all that sort of thing will be a flow out of this as well from a legal perspective but from where I sit on the employment side I think what we're trying to do at the moment is try and get resolution of issues now up front so Mm -hmm. that we're not having fights about it later on and if we are going to have a fight about it later on then at least confining what those issues are going to be giving employers some certainty at the moment. By and large, I I work with employers rather than employees. Occasionally I've done a few employee cases lately, but by and large, it's employers. So trying to help them get certainty for their business planning at the moment. So coming back to your question, you know, how have we gone? We've gone pretty well, really. Mm. Um, We've done it a bit differently to some other places. So in Australia and England, for example, the wage type subsidies are flowing directly from the government through to the employees. In New Zealand, we've chosen or the government's chosen to go through the employers. Um, It has some benefits. It has some downsides. Um, But I think by and large, we're going pretty well. But we're three weeks into the level four alert. Right. The real test, I think, is going to be, you know, we'll dust off this week. We'll dust off everyone being settled into level four. And then next week, there's a good chance I think we're going to drop to level three. So then, you know, everyone's going to have to sort of redo their thinking around. Well, you know, what does that operating look like in level three? Because, you know, it looks one way in level four. What does it look like in level three? And then what does it look like in level two? And then what does it look like long term? Because, you know, Mm. as a lot of your guests have been saying, you know, this is going to drive a change for our businesses. For the long term right not just 100%. not just in the next few weeks or months
0: and this is it's a perfect segue because one of the things that um it's become very clear is the big organizations have um, blueprints and game plans and protocols that kick into place with things like pandemics kick right like the, these big publicly listed companies they have this shit at least written down somewhere and it's a lot of stress but whatever pretty much every single other business that isn't that big doesn't have any of this plan and they've gone from one day i'm operating to next day the door is closed holy shit everything is just a bombardment of everything and they've had to navigate from zero to four real quick what i think has happened now is they've they've resettled into a kind of a new normal but then i don't know if they've thought about they've thought about what the new world could be but the way you've thought about staging that next that incremental um, startup from first second third gear whatever it may be however you want to do I don't think that people have got... doc. I don't think business owners in New Zealand have got documented process of what they can and can't do and will and won't do for the actual strategy game plan for what it will look like at 3, at 2, at 1, and then back down. That is something which I don't think has people have talked about because the same thing that's happened is, you know, Jacinda could get up in a week and be like, all right, well done team, we've knocked this, knocked the bastard off, all right, next, we're, we're at 3, and everyone's going to be like, oh shit, well, now what? And it's going to be this big wave of now what, right? So what advice would you give... Business owners, small business owners now thinking if they're in level four and the next kind of key strategic steps of how they should approach the the next moving parts to their business, what would you tell them? Yep, so
1: a big day for us is going to be Thursday, so the government has said they're going to come out on Thursday and provide a lot of direction around what Level 2 and Level 3 look like um, in terms of their expectations. So if you go on to the government COVID-19 website, for example, at the moment, it talks about the four levels of the alert system, and it says right now we're in Level 4, and what that means in detail is, and the government has, over the last three weeks, developed quite a lot of detail around what Level 4 looks like. What we need to understand is what that looks like at level three and level two, because at the moment, we're a little bit crystal ball gazing or guessing as to what that's going to look like. So Thursday is when the PM has announced that they're going to release those details. It sounds like it'll be quite a lot of detail because on yesterday, Monday, Easter Monday, she announced that they've drafted up essentially the guidelines of what it looks like at a cabinet level, and they were going to circulate that out. To industry bodies over over the over the last couple of days, so you would expect people like industry uh, trade um, the CTU on the union side, uh, business New Zealand on the on the business side, for example, and other in, in industry specific bod- bodies. So in hospitality, for example, and then I think on Thursday, what we're going to see is a bit of guidance as to what that level three and level two expectation looks like. So at the moment, for example, on level three, what it says is that some businesses will still be expected to shut down, but some will be able to operate. But you'll have to operate taking into account um you know the social distancing rotating shifts um uh contact tracing so the ability to have very clear records about who's operating where in your business so that if someone gets sick you've got uh, the ability to contact trace around them and so forth so we've got all of that but you know but the question of well is that going to be for every business is it only going to be for some business we'll get that answer hopefully from the government on thursday my recommendation at the moment i think for business owners is um, was two things I think coming out of what you were saying, I wanted to say. First of all, is I think you're probably overestimating the number of corporates, even big corporates, that had big that had comprehensive plans in place for us for a, for a pandemic or a impact of this size. I mean, um, we're talking about borders shutting down. We're talking about tens of thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of deaths um, all around the world. When you think about the impact on the American economy even if in New Zealand you had a business plan that said, well, if New Zealand goes into a state of civil emergency, for example, right, um, this is what we're going to do. But is your business plan also going to deal with, well, what's happening in America and mm, England true, and yeah. everywhere else around the world where you, where either your suppliers are or your clients are or, you know, some of your other collaborator, collaborators are, right? So, I, mm. so So I'm not sure that anyone really had a plan for this scale of disruption to the world economy and speed, right? So that's mm. the first point. And then the second point, I think, is this. What, what should you be doing? Well, you just got to be now constantly replanning your business plan, right? So if you thought you had a business plan that set you out for the next three years or the next five years, all of a sudden you've got to bring that back to be, well, what's the next three weeks or five weeks look like, right? And, and, and I need to be agile enough to change that. So, you know, today, Tuesday, 14 April, I think you start thinking about well if the government moves to level three next week what does that mean for me well what do i know at the moment well, i don't know a lot at the moment but based on what i know at the moment about what about what that will look like what am i going to start thinking about today tuesday the 14th of april and then when the government comes out on thursday the 16th of april and provides some more detail around it then i revise my planning right and then on monday the 20th of april the government's going to announce whether we're moving out of level four on 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 Wednesday, the 22nd. So again, on Monday, when the government makes that announcement, you've got to revise your planning again. So I think now's the time where you've got to have short term planning that is really agile and you can respond really quickly to and amend, because if you can do that, as a immediate business planning sort of strategy I think that's the right way to go and then what you also want to be thinking about is well what are my broader long-term strategies I mean you had the CEO of Lees Mills international on the yeah, other day yeah. and, and Clive and, and Clive was talking about how you know in addition to I mean his business is primarily the, is the international stuff right so all the gyms and products and stuff overseas what he was talking about was well we've got this underlying product this virtual um, mm-hmm. delivery product, yeah. which works works really well in this environment for us. So we're now talking about taking that and implementing it. Um, you know, my good friends Cecilia and James Robinson, who will, you, you will know, have been working for the last two years on Tend, which is their new business idea. They're the, for those of you who don't know them, they're the founders um, of, amongst other things, my, my food bag, uh, and also um, they did OP Link, which was one of the, the first really professional OP businesses in, in the country. And they've now looked at um, virtual medical consults. And all of a sudden, that's become really significant, right? I mean, they saw this a couple of years ago and they've been working on it for the last couple of years and doing all the hard work and stuff. And all of a sudden, this this creates this environment now where Tend is going to be a really big deal and it's going to be a really big deal quickly. So their planning, which presumably was going to be out for another months and months and months, mm-hmm. is all of a sudden had to come back to be right. Well, how can we now plan this over the next few weeks and what are we going to do and how are we going to roll out our our product now to help people in a way that we don't want to wait another six or 12 months for. So there's a good example of mm-hmm. people who are having to take some planning they already had in place and to create it and make it agile and small and move it. Right. I mean, that's an amazing that'll be an amazing thing. And when they you know, yeah. they're amazing people and when they get that up and running um, fully, which they've announced and it's, and it's going now, it'll be really cool. But so if you're a business owner at the moment, I think all of a sudden you've got to do you've got to get your short term planning really focused. And then you've also got to think and what's my long term strategy here what's the what's the thing that i can do with my business now that's going to make make it viable in the long term um, and if you can run those two things along together man that's going to be the magic combination
0: yeah it's 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 really good insight because i mean i think as well that the, the byproduct of that forward thinking proactively thinking strategically about those next steps of what happens when you go down each stage is the second then like If she does this, I do that. If Jacinda says yes from four to three, instantly within, I can already have a pre-scripted email to all staff, all suppliers, all everything ready to go. Okay. Now this has come out this is our next steps boom 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 boom. so instantly i guess you know at the end of the day if you're an employee somewhere and you don't know what's going to happen do i need to start when do i go back what happens now boom, boom, boom. there's going to be all these things but if you've already preempt eventually it's going to go from four to three at a certain point okay at that point what happens to this business what will that look like what does it mean for me all the rest of it and le- good leadership exactly to your point beforehand is it's it's going to like exposing these good leaders for it but it's a great opportunity to use these moments which you know are coming to be proactive with your communication to get better retention with with staff or more opportunities with your different employers or the people that they're the key stakeholders in your business, which can actually help you get back on track faster by actually thinking it because this is going to happen is what you're going to do next instead of I can imagine a lot of people might just sit around and wait okay now what and then be like oh shit now what and then maybe make not the strongest strategic moves out of Russian panic, maybe, you know? So
1: Planning is key, right? I think right now what you want to be doing is in a constant plan and replan mode for your business because that's the – and think about it both in the the short term and think about it in the broader – more strategic long term. But you just got to be prepared to plan and replan and replan. It'd be like doing a never-ending load of dishes, right? You're just going to feel like it's just coming and coming and coming. Doesn't matter how much I do, there's more to come, right? I mean we've all had those jobs. But
0: it's going to be better for the business if you make those plays earlier. It just totally makes
1: correct. And you've got to be willing to change your position on stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um and and be communicative with your people about it. You know, your your people are critical in your business if you can communicate with your business with your with your people and say to them, hey, here's where I'm at here's what I'm thinking, here's what we're going to do. Um, and a lot, of, you know, a lot of people we've been working with over the last two or three weeks, what they've been doing is trying to give their employees certainty at least up to the 22nd of April, right, which is the end of the initial four-week period.
0: Um, um, Jason yeah. Wright's giving you props, super informative intel, um, props, and Guy Thorpe says scenario planning based on alert levels. Yep, good. More importantly, actually, I haven't asked you, what whiskey are you drinking, my friend? I, I, I see all the books i see all your fancy books where's the whiskey at what are you what are you rolling well, what,
1: with what you probably can see too oh is some there of we the go wine.
0: you got the yeah i knew you had the wine stack well yeah, that's the old
1: wine <laughs> snack, um, Love it. Um, mate. I decided at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, which is really like a Monday. I better not roll out the whiskey because I've still uh, got other work to do this yeah, afternoon. Fair enough, fair enough, but, um, fair enough. but it'll be a um, a Doublewood, double. Wood, I would imagine would be what comes out later on. So, yeah, I
0: know I know Cam will be um, watching. He'll he'll be jealous. Um, Joshua uh, asks quick legal question. You have employees on a you have employees on a fixed term that were. To finish up at the end of April they are now in lockdown and unable to do their work from home you have applied and received the wage subsidy for these employees and adhering and passing this on do you extend their fixed term for the 12-week period to continue to pass on the subsidy and keep people employed or do you have them finish the fixed term on original date and advise wins in order to pay back the balance of the 12-week that sounds like a very specific question mate I think you need should reach out to him
1: um yeah yeah he should he was, was like only missing his gst number in his bank account exactly exactly <laughs> um but those are your two options right so we've been it is a very specific question in some respects but he's not alone right um yeah, totally and those and he's thought that through really really well because those are your two options you know yeah. the safest option probably is to wrap up the fixed term as it is and to advise work and income and, and refund the balance of the of the subsidy money for them, right? Because then what you're doing is you're sticking to your original bargain with the employee around what the period of time is for the fixed term. And there's a legal risk around if you extend the fixed term, are you undermining the nature of the fixed term, right? So there's a, mm. there's a little bit of a legal risk around that. But of course, on the flip side of that, if you do that, then those employees all of a sudden at the end of April, that's it, their income drops off. Um, because they're not going to be a, because the subsidy only gets paid through employers So, go you know, on. there is a there, so if, if you do make that choice and you go well look actually what I'm going to do Is I'm going to stick to the original fixed term date I'm going to end it and I'm going to advise wins of that and we'll send the money back to wins Then the question the, the human question is well, how does that employee now an ex-employee? How do they then get money right because that money wins isn't just going to turn around and pay it directly to them the wage subsidies going through employers. So they might be able to go and get on, jump on the work finder, you know, the, the unemployment benefit, but m- maybe not if they're in a relationship and their partner's earning money. You know, there are plenty of people who are being made redundant at the moment, who they get made redundant and they're left without, being able to get any income because their partner is earning and therefore they're not eligible to pick up on the unemployment benefit. And they're not able to get the wage subsidy because they've been made redundant and the wage subsidy is only coming through their employer. So there's no avenue Jeez. for that money to flow on. So the dilemma he that, that uh, was it Joshua, did you say? The dilemma that he's in, um, is that's the dilemma, man. So you've got the choice of either taking what is probably the legally tightest answer and ending the employment, but with it ending the wage subsidy flow to the employee or you take a bit of a risk and go, well, actually, you know what? Um, I'll extend the uh, uh, fixed term employment agreement, but specifically for the purpose of passing on to you, the government's wage subsidy amount only. And if you did that, then that's an option I think plenty of people would take because they'd feel that one, they're managing their legal risk a bit, Mm. but two, what they're doing is still facilitating some money going to those people, right? Because if you don't, they're going to be left without it. Um, So that's a really, it's it's tough.
0: I mean, that obviously these are hypotheticals and this is an official legal um, thing. So Opinion know, pl- please don't <laughs> sue anyone. If anyone's going anyone, to sue me, I'm fine. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, that's tricky. eh? Cause you think all that, if this, then that, and and it's kind of the, this, this layered down approach of each different weave, Cause then all of a sudden you go, if this and that, and you get to some part and like that's someone's actual situation. And then that's unfair. It's t- man, that's tough. Um, yeah. What do you think the biggest thing that it, business owners don't know right now which they should potentially legally
1: i think it's about the importance of consultation with your employees before you go ahead and make decisions that are going to affect them and whether that's a decision to disestablish their role and potentially make them redundant whether it's a decision to drop their hours because you can't afford or you don't have the work to continue running them at 100 percent whether that's a decision about applying for the wage subsidy and how you're going to work that into your business i think one of the things or whether it's a decision about use of annual leave right um Mm. i think that the the single biggest thing i'd like employers to do is just before they make any final decisions about all of those kinds of things is develop a way in which they can go to their employees, discuss it with the employees, take their feedback, and then either reach an agreement with their employees on stuff. Or if you can't reach an agreement, then make a decision, but by t- taking into account their feedback. Um, and on some things, you'll be able to do that, and on some things, you won't. So, you know, employment law hasn't been abandoned because of COVID 19. Um, But what we need to do is just sort of focus on the best way to to, to manage the employer-employee relationship. And the best way is consultation, agreement if you can. And if you can't, then working out what decisions you can unilaterally make, but taking into account what your employees have said. Because sometimes they'll have ideas that will mean you want to change your thinking. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll provide you with some thoughts that you hadn't thought of. And sometimes it'll just be, hey, look, I hear all of that, but I still think I need to go ahead and do this for the reasons for the business, and here here are the reasons why. But consulting with employees is really really important at the moment, and I think if if you're going to go off and make decisions without consulting with your employees, you're running a real risk um, yeah. that you're going to get you're going to get turned over on that later on.
0: It's it's the overarching thing of just open comms up front for everything that's happening because I'm pretty sure everyone has got pretty good understanding of the vehicle of what this thing is doing to the entire global financial system that there's more enough. I think people realize your intent is right with that, with that conversation. It's probably more respected because if you maybe don't have it, you do something a bit funky, you know, potentially we go from four to a three and all of a sudden you need to ring that employee back up and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, about how I like fired you. Yeah. Sorry about that. G. Oh, can you start tomorrow? (laughs) It almost kind of like just whittle away these potential threads of, of, um, you know loyalty or, or bonds to something if you're not communicating with it, which I'm imagining a lot of businesses are. Pro- it's probably going to happen to because, as uh, you know, if you took a weaker approach, didn't communicate, turn the tap off, you're like, okay, sweet, I'm fine, and then it comes back on. You try to turn it back on, you might find that you might have a whole bunch of new, you know, employee onboarding to get through because you lost a bunch of good employees because you're a dick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then you might find that no one wants to come and work for you because that's what they're hearing about you. Yeah. Um, the flip side is the flip side is true too, though, right? I mean, as much as I'm saying one of the things that's really important is making sure you're engaging with your employees and getting that level of consultation going And too. Also, don't listen. If you're a business owner out there, don't listen to all of the absolute no-sayers who are saying things to you like, oh, well, you can't reduce people's hours without their consent or you can't... Um, make people redundant or you can't ask people to go on annual leave at the moment because you know that's not true either, right? There's you know some of those extreme positions that are being taken. Now if you apply for the government subsidy, then there are certain things that you're promising not to do. So if you apply for the subsidy now, so after the 27th of March, you're saying that you won't make people redundant while you've got them on the subsidy. You're promising that you will use your best endeavors to pay them at least 80% of their income. You won't make any changes to their employment terms, conditions without their agreement. So if you apply for the subsidy, you've got a slightly different filter on what you can and can't do. If you haven't applied for the subsidy or you're going to make some changes first and then apply for the subsidy later on you've got a bit more flexibility and some of the sort of dogma that's being said so one of the things that we're hearing for a lot at the moment is oh you can't force people to take annual leave well it's just yeah. not right sure. yeah so the holidays act has a provision in it that says that if you can't reach agreement with your employees on the use of their annual leave then employers have the right to direct the use of annual leave on 14 days notice so there's no reason why that provision still doesn't apply um you know i've heard all sorts of arguments against it one argument is oh, in lockdown at the moment it's not possible to get recreation so therefore and in the holidays act it says one of the purposes or the purpose of annual leave is to give you rest and recreation right yeah. and the argument is oh well at the moment because the government's put you in lockdown you can't recreate well what nonsense of course you can um if you if you're on annual leave at the moment you're not having to attend to any work duties to the extent that you can you can jump on your bike and go for a ride around the block you can go for a jog you can go for a walk with your partner you can you can (laughs) sit on the couch and watch netflix you can do whatever right um so i look there's some sort of very extreme positions being put out there but i think you know my, my message to people would be try and get a sensible balance and try and get that by discussions with your employees around it. And if you find you're not getting a sensible discussion from your employees or if they unionize the union, then think about making a reasonable decision and make the decision that is a reasonable decision, taking into account everything. You know, Take into account all your employee feedback, take into account your financial circumstances, take into account the fact that you might be dropping back onto level three in a week's time or eight days time or whatever that is, take all of that into account make a rational decision. Um, As a very wise man once said, uh, who I used to work with, uh, a chap named Paul Davison, QC, who's now a high court judge, Paul used to say, people do things for a reason. And if you can look at the reason behind why you're making a decision and why you're doing things um, and you make a decision based on reason and not emotion, um, that's got to be the good way forward, right?
0: Yeah. As a wise man once told me, more money, more problems. (laughs) (laughs) well this is the thing right (laughs) is 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 people need enough to get by on at the moment
1: and look and i think one of the if you could go back in time and you could say to the government i'd do something differently the thing i'd do is if i could go back two months ago or three months ago or whenever it was and i could say to the government look this is coming this is what we need in the employment space one of the things i'd be thinking about would be setting up a um a subsidy regime that didn't necessarily go through employers because at the moment, the biggest issues I'm seeing are ones where employers either don't want to apply for the wage subsidy and therefore they're feeling compelled to go ahead and make a whole bunch of redundancies Um, or situations like came up in the discussion before, right? Mm. Where if you end a fixed term partway through the subsidy period and then you repay the money to the government, what about the employee? Where do they get the money from? So because that, that scheme is going through employers, that is creating some unintended consequences where employees might miss out on the subsidy that they might have otherwise got. So if I could Mm. jump in a time machine and go back two months, I'd say to the government, think about setting up a a support, a a financial support for employees that doesn't rely on going through the employers. Mm. Um, But in saying that, they might say, well, the reason we're putting it through the employers is we're trying to get the employers to share the cost with us. Um, And some employers can and will do that and some can't or won't. So that's where that's at.
0: Um, Joshua reply back. Thanks for the piss take, boys. Was kind of asking for it, eh? But I appreciate the advice. Super helpful. Thank you, um, Joshua. If you'd just like to uh, DM me your PO box, um, I'll get um, Aaron. Robert we'll CO send you a again. bill. <laughs> no, you can send the bill. <laughs> I know you gotta pop and stack them. um So, what do you think the? So we come back out of this thing. How how do you think the wheels start to turn back from zero? Because I don't think the world's seen a a, a stop like this ever. How do you see the wheel? The wheels potentially starting to ro- roll back again, in an ideal scenario. How do you? How do you think the? What pieces start moving first, and how that sort of trickles down from end to end?
1: So, the market guy in me says that what will happen is if we go from level four back to level three, and we still ha- have some restrictions, but businesses will be able to get things moving to a point that that'll start answering that question, I think, at a, at a market level, right? So businesses that there's still a need for their products are going to find a way to get back up and operating and are going to find a way to do it whilst managing these risks we've still got around, you know, containing the virus, making sure that we're putting people into healthy work environments and so forth and so on. And I think, I think the real question will be, you know, what in our human nature becomes our spending strategies moving forward right so Mm. you know i mean one of the things you'll be the same i'm the same everyone will be the same you think about what you've spent money on in the last four weeks is very different probably to the spending profile that we had in the four months prior to it right all of a sudden there's a whole lot of things we're not spending money on because we can't and the question will be well when we can are we going to go back to spending that money or are we going to decide actually we can live without that so so there will be i think i'm agri- i agree entirely with the commentators that are saying that this isn't just going to flip the switch and go back to life as it was right you know some of the things that i used to spend money on i'll still go i, I will want to spend money on as soon as i can but some of the things that i used to spend money on i won't spend money on when i can because i'll be going actually is that really a either a yeah. prudent or a sensible or a need or, or a need and i don't mean need in a life's essentials. I mean, right, I mean, need as in even taking into account a slightly indulgent need, is it something that I still need to do? And that's where the economy, I think, is is going to be we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Um, I think travel is going to be a really big deal. I think the, the sooner we can get back to an environment where we're able to travel, then you're going to see the injection into the economy that comes with that. You know, there's talk I saw the CEO of Auckland Airport yesterday come out and said we need to work as quickly as we can to get into an Australasian bubble so that we can lift travel restrictions to Australia. And of course, a lot of that will depend on, well, how quickly will the Australians get the virus control under control compared to us, right? Um, you know, so travel will be a big deal when we can start traveling again, we'll start spending money on travel and accommodation and taxis and food and all those sorts of things back into the economy. And that, and that'll go, um, you know, look, I don't have a crystal ball, man. And I, and I, so I don't know the answer to how that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen slowly. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to happen in a targeted kind of way. And I think the government's going to have a big job to play in the next 18 months, to two, three years to support us getting into supporting various bits of the economy again. You know, I think some things are not going to come back, right? I mean, print media, man, are we going to see the same kind of print media that we saw a year ago in a year's time? The answer's got to be no to that, right? Truly. Um, You know, I think, you know, on the sport front, you know, what are we going to see? on with sport over the next 12 to 18 months, you know, and it's not going to be a complete walk away from sport, because what people forget, I think sometimes is when sport dies, it's not just the athletes and it's not just an indulgence of all of us who like watching sport. There are a whole there's a whole economy around sport. Right. You know, there's media, there's food, there's the sport product, there's the production of it. You know, thousands, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of jobs in this country are impacted by the sports sector. So we need to get the sports sector up and running so that those people in that sector you know, have jobs. You know, what's going to happen with sport media? We saw the shutting down of radio sport, like, just boom, right? Yeah. You know, what happens to all those journalists? We've had you know, publicly they've talked about redundancies at places like the New Zealand Herald and other sports in other they sports that, media in so the sports f- space, right?
0: Fifteen percent at NZME today, and then Bauer went under last week.
1: Yeah. So you know, so so as as these changes happen, you know, what how are we going to almost proof a lot of these areas moving forward, so that if we have something like this again, we're better sized or better righted for it. But sport, for me, is a big one. We, you know, people who are going, oh, sports only sport. Yeah. It's much more than that because it has a real impact on the economy. It has a real impact on
0: people's jobs. Yeah, let's let's go there for a sec because I'm thinking, I mean, uh, if you've been following the, the UFC thing at all, flipping Dana, <laughs> did you hear what he, happened last week, what he did? He, um, he wanted to be the first sport to come back in the world. So he, he did a deal with um, an Indian reservation in California to do um, UFC um, 249 or whatever it was. Um, and then got the handbrake. They, he set it all up, everything dialed, and got it handbraked by the CEO of Disney and ESPN for obviously a, a bunch of political reasons. And he, and then he's also got a Fight Island. He's building infrastructure on an island to be able to do it because he was like, we've got to get this thing rolling, blah, blah, blah. But it's interesting to see how the wheels of sport can come back because obviously I was in the States on the Wednesday night, I believe it was, when um, in the space of, I think it was like 14 hours, NBA shut, NHL start, if just the entire sports world just stopped overnight. And when I think about the New Zealand ecosystem, even around travel, you think, okay, all blacks. Okay. Well, if no one can come here and we can't go anywhere, there is no flipping all blacks. There is no there is no winter there's flipping nothing. And then you think about um just the logistics of sport and like now they're talking about oh yeah they can potentially they were talking about last week on first take oh yeah we'll get the nba players and they'll just play with no fans and it's all good it's like well until you can test one person in or one person out it could spread and the whole thing kicks off again how do you think what can new zealand do if it's insular to bring back sport how would you reset the stack of sport in New Zealand? Because I mean, we can control ourselves to start with. I guess all a different buzz, but how do we bring sport back? What does it look like? Yeah, so I think there's
1: a there's a few questions, right? Because one yeah. of the questions, so the Fight Island one or the <laughs> NBA all playing in Las Vegas was the other suggestion, yes. right? Um, there are two, for me, there are two sides to this. There's the logistics of it. How do you manage it actually with the players' And the support crew and the support staff. So that's one aspect of it. Because what you've got to remember, if you take a bunch of people and throw them into an environment, say a fight island, and you keep them there for however long you're going to do it for, right? It's um, literally. All the, like you know, the whole of the <laughs> NBA, the whole of the NBA into Las Vegas. What are you going to do? Are you going to take all the families of the players with them? Because otherwise, what you're asking them to do is to be away from their families for maybe. You know, take the NBA for example. It might be eight weeks or twelve weeks or, or longer, right? Or sixteen weeks. Right? I mean, I think we've learned our lesson on cruise ships, right? So let's <laughs> let's let's come back to that. But so what? Do you, so what are you going to do from the production point of view? So that's one question, and I don't think we have an answer to that yet. The second question will be: even once we get sport back up and running, we're not going to have sport in front of a live audience for a while, I think. So what we need to do is, I think, in the world of sport, we need to find a way of getting stuff up and running without the audience. And then we need to go right well how logistically can we do that and what are we going to do about the fact that there isn't an audience there for my part i think it's focusing on sports that are more amenable to that than others right and and talk about one off of and talk about one-off events right so one of the things i would be asking was would be would you be able to get a situation where you might get a golf tournament up and running for example without a crowd You know, it's a one that it's played in a big open space. There's naturally distant, you know, natural distance between competitors. A lot of these social distancing rules we're talking about, it seems to me something like a golf tournament might be more likely to get up and running before we say do a a game of basketball in a stadium with. 60,000 people right so that seems to me one environment seems to be more virus prone to me than the other one so i think paper, we're going to pick and it on a, on a piece edit. by piece and maybe forever. and maybe that's what it is or you know take ufc or boxing for example is there a way of setting up a particular fight night or fight event that means you can have you can ask the athletes to give themselves Uh, uh, put themselves into effective isolation and training and stuff for maybe a two-week period going into the event and then have the event and then they come out of it again right so what you're talking therefore logistically Mm. is a realistic period of time where for two or three or maybe four weeks at the most what you're doing is you're asking these athletes to remove themselves from a family environment because I just don't think it's realistic to ask them to remove themselves from a family environment for any period of time longer than that and for a lot of them they'll go no i'm not even going to do it for that period of time and we've got to respect that right but you think about i take we take we started off, this off talking about rugby world cup back in japan last yep. year right living, that, the, dream. That, Those that, living the, the dream but that was a six-week <laughs> period where a lot of athletes did put on hold they went away for six weeks or eight weeks or ten weeks or whatever that particular period of time was for them away from their families for a particular event that kind of thing is realistic for sport at a logistic level, and then we've just got to ask, well, how do we present it without uh, without an audience, right? And there are people working on that. I mean, if you're interested, Google Smart Sports, sports with a Z on the end of it, um, and this is a business that um, Chris Kins, who you know that I know, um, you know, Chris has been working for the last sort of 18 months or two years with some guys around trying to deliver some studio-based sport content. So the idea is you don't have a you don't have an audience, you project it with rendered environments, and it works really naturally for small scale sports, things like three on three basketball and various other bits and pieces that they've done trials and and work with. How could you take that kind of technology so that you're dealing with the lack of a crowd aspect of Mm. it and combine it with a event that works from a logistics point of view and you combine those two things together and then maybe we'll get an event up and running. Right. But if you can't recognize both of those features, it's not just about no people in the stadium. Right. You know, Formula One talked about that. They were going, "Well, oh, what we're we going to do And if one is we're going to run the Grand Prix's, but we're going to run them without the crowds there. I mean, if you've ever been to a Grand Prix, that would be weird, right? And even watching it on television without the audience would be slightly mm. less weird, but but it'd be really weird. But the point is, logistically, you've still got to get the tens of thousands of people to the event. They've got to all be either... you know in quarantine for a period of time you've got to manage that so the two issues for sport are one how do we deal with it logistically from the athlete's point of view and the produce in the production crew's point of view and then how do we render it in a way that we can watch it without a crowd on our tablets or on our televisions or however we want to do it right and when we can get the balance between those two things right that's when you'll start seeing some live sport kick back up again
0: and the reality is i think the, the key point there is it's got to start local so we need to think more granular to control all of it ourselves, right?
1: Well, that's the other option, of course, is we go, you know, that's 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 one way of packaging it. The other way to attack this is to go, well, imagine a situation where in six weeks' time we have squash coronavirus in New Zealand. So we're down to, we, we, we believe we've eradicated it. And we've got protections in place at the border. So when people come in, we're either mandatorily quarantining them or whatever. right? But we're in an environment, we're genuinely in New Zealand, whether that's six weeks time or eight weeks time or six months time or wherever, whenever it is. But we're probably positioned pretty well in the world to do that before if not any other country, most other countries, right? Now, once we do that, does that mean we're in a position then to pretty much take the brakes off our domestic economy? You know, can we all of a sudden then say, well, we can we can travel domestically, we can do whatever we want domestically because New Zealand is a coronavirus-free environment? Safe, if it yeah. is, yeah. then you kick off sport again in a way, right? Imagine imagine the NPC, the rugby NPC kicking off in six or eight or 10 weeks' time in a coronavirus-free New Zealand, And all of the international level rugby players are playing the domestic competition because that's what's available. (laughs) And then imagine that being sold offshore, right? So I'm sure that all the, I'm sure that everyone down at New Zealand Rugby and and all of the NPC franchises around the country they'll be thinking about this because if we could have the NPC as we normally have it, but all of a sudden with all of the international level players playing in it because the All Blacks aren't going on tour and no one's coming on tour to play them. You know, that's going to be an amazing opportunity. You know, Netball will want to do. We'll be looking at doing the same when they can get the Premiership back up and running. You know, they've suspended the ANC Premiership at the moment, but when that can get back up and running, it'll be one of the world-class, um, high-quality sports to be able to be available for watching. And then with that, and it's not just, as I say, it's not just about the sport fan watching it. It's about the people then, you know, helping to produce it, or everyone whose livelihood is is in that space, will all of a sudden have an opportunity to kick back off again. So for me, I think those for me are the two most exciting things. This idea of finding a sport that will work on a uh, controlled basis and being able to present it in a in a uh, being able to present it in a um, spectatorless environment that'll be that'll be one option, and the other option is let's just decimate this bastard right so that we can get new zealand's domestic economy back up and running because when we can do that if we can if we can eradicate coronavirus in new zealand and stop it coming in again from the borders that's the that's the position we need to get to so that we can re-kick our our domestic economy again and to the extent that we can then present that domestic product offshore if it's entertainment whatever it is you know it doesn't have to be sport right what about tv shows and all those sorts of things right they're going to we're going to need new TV content being produced at some stage in the future. How about re- redoing all that down here? You know, there's a real opportunity if we can get this thing eradicated. There's a real opportunity to kick off the economy again.
0: I think you've you've hit on two kind of ideas where my head just went to. You were talking about you know the slingers. I, I thought okay, well, if universities in the states and whatever are all been shut down, but you think about it, they've got they've got dorms, they've got facilities that you could bring potentially media into. I was thinking well you get the ball rolling for new zealand okay cool there's arguably say if you went to a three you could probably put um talent to different sports staged out in different quarantine um lockdowns and different universities that would have dorms and then they could come out after the two weeks and they could have you know content and stream and you could have that live but i'm thinking globally exactly to your point why couldn't then you have New Zealand is a production facility for live sport content of, of global athletes coming. They get locked in, same same lockdown facilities, and then within those two weeks period, they can then be competing. If you've got you know Sky or TVNZ, whoever wants to do the production, you know, flip and giddy up and go. There's actually quite an interesting thing because even if it's not New Zealand, there are going to be multiple other countries that have the same issue of trying to create sport and create activity. How could potentially New Zealand actually do that? Could get some, um you know, privately flights, could come over lockdown. I, I'm just thinking like locked off uni campuses that are controlled and, and navigated 100 could be potentially do it, and you just st- stagger them out and two week cycles blocks on and off with different little ones. That'd be super interesting. Yeah. Um. Hundred percent.
1: Hundred percent. And that's combining there, right. It's so in sport, hundred percent. So in sport, that's combining the two concepts, right? It's combining yep. the idea of totally. A logistically contained sport that can be presented in a spectatorless environment, and then going, Well, actually, there's an opportunity to do that in New Zealand because in New Zealand, what we've done is we've eradicated COVID 19 and we're yes, able to operate in a relatively New Zealand, safe environment. Back
0: in business in New Zealand, fly them over, lock them down, quarantine. Because I think yep. they were saying there's 19 different hotels and motels that the cops were guarding doors and then the military was guarding the exits or something for this mandatory quarantine shit. But that's exactly what happens when you go to like tri- boot, like spring training. That's exactly what happens. Tri- players go; they're in lockdown for, for, for three weeks, getting in the mix. I mean, surely people, surely they're thinking of that. I mean, they've got they've got it. People aren't people aren't dumb.
1: You'd hope so. There are people brighter than me yes. and <laughs> just as bright as you, my friend, that'll be out there thinking about this. Hopefully, so.
0: Dude, yeah. this has been a mega chat. I know you've got. Um, you got lots of shit going. On. It's just flipping good talk to you. I miss go. I miss the whiskey. The whiskey sesh. I mean, I know. You, what's your favorite? Um, apart from the double wood, you've been hitting the reds. What What are you been rolling into? What are you, What's on the stash? What's 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 fresh on the stash? What are you into?
1: Made in the wine. We've been drinking a fair bit of uh, a Hawkes Bay uh outfit called east hope family wines don't know if you know those guys but we've been rocking their gamay um which is a pretty unusual red for new zealand but it's a it's stunning it is very very good so east hope family wine growers shout out to them they've got a great chardonnay great gamay so we've been rocking a bit of that um uh what else man sneaking the odd bottle of champagne when i can justify it Um, um but you know just otherwise head down. Happy to have a whis- whiskey with you later on. I just sure, figured sure. mid-afternoon, probably a little bit early. So.
0: Okay, I, I'm going to do some more digging into this idea about this this uni compound for global sport production. There's flipping legs to it. Because if New Zealand can be beat at first, or one of the ones to beat at first, be back in business, open for business, we get some chartered flights coming back in and out, get New Zealand plugged in, we lock them down, we could stagger them at different universities, which are going to be you know, closed or whatever. There is, mate. I think we've just we've we've cracked something. I would watch Yugoslavian volleyball or or ice hockey or some random shit just to watch something. Anything would win by default at this point. Anything? Well, and I <laughs>
1: think that and I think that's the key, right? So this is where for me, my worlds of being an employment lawyer and being a sports lawyer combine, right? Because you know what you know. Your sports are nice to have in some respects, but in parts of the economy, sports really essential and really critical. If you're a sports if you, if you if your livelihood re- revolves around sport sport is much more than a nice to have sports mm-hmm. actually an essential for your livelihood and I think so for this the, the sports side of my practice and interest that is going to be in, in the next you know few weeks and months kicking that back into gear around ideas like this man and um, and in the meantime the employment side of my practice is going to be around helping people deal with what they're dealing with at the moment, helping them protect their business moving forward, but at the same time looking after their employees and getting that balance right, you know? And, and then, you know, the other thing that I do is, is litigation and largely regulatory litigation and things like dealing with fraud and money laundering and all those sorts of things. And, you know, look, and some of that will kick out of this because it inevitably does. But for me at the moment, my focus is around helping employers with their employees and, and their business. And what I'm looking forward to is helping my sports clients, you know, as they kick everything back into gear with their sports stuff.
0: Legend, my man. Uh, Tell Cambo and the crew I say what up virtually. High fives for the for the team. Thanks for keeping me out of mischief all these years, mate. So, Aaron Lloyd for the win. And I'll uh, see you soon, brother. And tell us up to wifey and congrats again, bro, for all, all the stuff. And um, appreciate your time, bro, my man.
1: Yeah, look, any time, my friend. Keep these up. These uh, sessions are really good, man. I mean, the ones I've been able to pick up with people and just hearing the stories and hearing Janine's story this morning about, you know, we talk about all of this in a way, but you hear her story this morning, man, where she, she basically almost dies. And, you know, so that, that's 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 really grounding and really you know significant They're uh, hearing you know the stories last week around how the businesses are handling it dion and the guys at les mills and all that sort of stuff man so keep up the good work man you're communicating it well
0: it. hey i'm drinking whiskey and talking to mates this is pretty easy this is, this is <laughs> it's easy love your work brother see you soon all good brother thanks man later bro peace aaron lloyd the bro such a flipping g and uh, one of the partners at Mintalis and rud watts Thank you for the time. Love the intersection between legal and sport and all sorts of commerce and good things. See you soon, team. Man, I love Love that idea. Uni, sport, global production, lockdown, isolation, action, content, something in there, team. If Tourism New Zealand, Sky, TVNZ, anyone who creates content is looking at that, that is a flip and layup or NSOs, get in the mix. See you soon, team. Peace.